Before the service, we were, a couple of us were debating this question. Help me out with this. If the groundhog saw his shadow six more weeks or not six more weeks? Six more, no, not six more weeks, right? Nobody knows. See, none of us know that, right? Okay, so groundhog sees his shadow. Maybe we have six more weeks of winter. Maybe we don't. Groundhog doesn't see his shadow. The opposite occurs. Nobody actually knows which it is. Here's the big question. What happens if the groundhog dies? Because New Jersey's groundhog died on Groundhog Day. And I think what happens is we have below zero temperatures until like Easter or, or something like that. But I don't know. Anyway, hey, it's good to see you guys here. And I know you're cold, but uh, we're, we're glad that you guys are here. My name is Clay. I'm one of the pastors here. And if I haven't had the chance to meet you, come on up after the service. I usually hang out up front and I would love to spend a few minutes just kind of chatting with you and getting to know you a little bit. So speaking of winter, I used to be a pretty avid skier uh, until I was injured time and time and time again. And my wife said, that's enough. You're done with skiing. I'd like to remain married to you for a little bit longer. It's good for you to go see Jesus, but not on the ski slope. Um, so I think we have a picture here, actually, the guys have of when I was younger. So that's my 55-year-old head attached to my 25-year-old body there, something like that. Actually, I was not like a crazy skier. I didn't do the jumps. I didn't do any of that sort of stuff. I just would go down the slope. I've actually never snowboarded. You know, I just like to go down the slope and carve my turns, and I would just enjoy doing that. And uh, my junior year in college, I, I went on a ski trip uh, with a group of, uh, of college students. I was having a great time skiing along, having a lot of fun. It was getting near the end of the day. Um, you know, it was, I was a little bit tired, but not too bad. Three of us decided we were going to go down this relatively easy slope for one of the final runs of the day. So we're going down, everything's going great. And all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, boom, I start tumbling down the mountain. Everything's flying all over the place, goggles, gloves, skis. Back in those days, the skis were actually attached to your leg with a little strap. They didn't have the snow brakes back then, which is very important to this story. So I'm tumbling down and as I, I land, I'm lying there on my back and I'm vaguely aware that I think my, one of my skis has probably hit me in the head, but I wasn't sure. I wasn't in any pain, nothing was broken, but then all of a sudden I start feeling this, this warm liquid coming down over my face and into my eyes. And I think this is probably not melting snow, though I hope it's melting snow. So I'm lying there and one of, one of my friends is nowhere to be seen, but this uh, one woman who I was skiing with, this one girl I'm skiing with, she stops and she looks at me and I kind of look up at her through the haze and I said, am I bleeding? And she says, yes, you are. And I said, where am I cut? And she says, put it this way, you have a third eyebrow. And I said, ooh, this is not good. So I begin and I say, all right, take off my bandana and pack it with snow and you know, put pressure on it. She says, shut up, lie back, I know what to do. And she starts pressing this thing on my head and I said, where's Arneem was our other friend. And, and she says, he's already started heading down to the bottom of the mountain. Five minutes later, the ski patrol comes, you know, they kind of patch up my head, they wrap it with all this sort of stuff, put me on their sled, start skiing down the mountain. And they, if you've ever had, I hope you've never had this happen to you, but as you've got this guy in front of you and he's skiing with this sled and you're realizing, I am completely strapped to this sled. And if he falls like I fell, 
There's nothing between me and the bottom of the mountain. Lord, don't let this guy fall. Let him be a good skier. So we're going down the mountain, and all of a sudden, he starts skiing faster and faster and faster. I'm like, what's going on? I realized, oh, I closed my eyes, and he probably thinks, you know, I was passing out or whatever it is. So we get down to the bottom of the mountain, you know, and I say, hey, can I have a mirror? And they're like, no, we are not going to let you have a mirror. You know, I said, look, I'm not going to faint. I'm not going to sue you. They're like, no, you cannot have a mirror. Anyway, to make a long story short, we ended up going to the local emergency room and I got a bunch of stitches in my head. I ended up with, you know, stitches in my head, big scar, two black eyes, you know, et cetera. Next day, come back to the ski slope, all like the really big, you know, hulking ski bums are like, hey, dude, what happened to you? You know, pretty cool, man. I'm like, oh, here we go, right? So, okay, so I get back to college and I realize, wait a second, my girlfriend, we just started dating like a week before the ski trip. She didn't go on the ski trip with me. What's gonna happen when I see her? Like, is this the end of the whole thing? Because now her boyfriend, her new boyfriend, who, if I just didn't say it, just started dating just a week earlier, like Frankenstein, the whole thing, you know, what's she gonna say? So I'm like, so I go and I see her, and just to make the long story short, we've been married now for 30 years, and it's great, everything's been fine, and it's wonderful, you know? I did ski a bunch of times after that, but again, Every time that I fell, right, we'd be going down the, you know, the black, double black diamonds. It would never fall, never fall. Every time that I'm going down an easy slope, it seems like I end up falling and getting hurt. It's when I least expected it to happen, when I thought everything was going to be fine, that's when I would fall. That's when I dislocate my shoulder. That's when I had to get taken down the hill on a stretcher and get stitches, you know, and, and, so often in our lives, the challenges come, the difficulties come, the problems come when we least expect them. When we're expecting life to be difficult, when we're prepared for it, it's a lot easier in some cases. It's when those things come unexpectedly and suddenly into our lives, that's when we get into trouble. And several weeks ago, we talked about this guy named Peter who ended up becoming a leader in the early Christian church. And he was one of Jesus' followers. He was one of, of Jesus' disciples. And Peter ended up denying that he even knew Jesus. Jesus is on trial for his life. Peter is hanging outside in the courtyard. The servant girl comes up to Peter and she says, hey, I know you. You're one of those followers of Jesus. And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know that guy. And she asks him again, and he denies it again. And she asks him a third time. And finally, at this point, he says, not only don't I know what, you, what you're talking about, as far as I'm concerned, this guy, he can be condemned. He ought to be condemned. And he actually calls down curses on Jesus. And four, five, six hours earlier, if you had asked Peter, would he ever deny that he knew Jesus? Peter would have said, absolutely not. Totally unexpected. He didn't expect to be challenged by the servant girl. And he never would have expected that when he was challenged by the servant girl, that he would deny Jesus. But in fact, he did. And on the surface, when you look at it on the surface, it seems like Peter's problem was fear, right? His friend is on trial for his life. He's ultimately going to be crucified for being a criminal, at least according to the Romans and according to the Jews, Jesus was viewed to be a criminal. And Peter doesn't want to be associated with him. 
Why would you want to be associated with a condemned criminal? And so, yeah, on the surface, Peter was afraid. But if we stop at fear, we're missing the real root. We're missing the real heart of why Peter denied Jesus. And in order to understand why Peter denied Jesus, we need to go back to several hours earlier and something that happened just after what we call the Last Supper, the the dinner that Jesus had with his disciples uh, the night before he was crucified. So after dinner, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, you will all fall away for it is written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus is the shepherd, they're his sheep. So the shepherd's gonna be struck, the sheep are gonna be scattered. And Peter declares, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows three times, twice, sorry, let me just try that again. Tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And all of the other disciples had said the same thing. You see, Peter's greatest problem was not that he denied Jesus because he was afraid. It's true, he did deny Jesus because he was afraid. But his greatest problem wasn't his fear. His greatest problem was that he thought he couldn't deny Jesus. He said, there is no way that it is possible that I will deny you. Peter's root problem wasn't fear. His root problem, his core problem was pride. Actually, if we want to be more accurate, Peter's root problem was what we might call hubris. Now, hubris is one of those sort of SAT words. If you've got kids studying for the SATs, make sure they know that word. It's probably going to appear, you know, somewhere on the SATs. And for years, I thought that the word hubris was just a fancy word for pride. And I thought people who used words like hubris had a problem with hubris, you know. And, And But as I started looking at the meaning of this word, I realized, no, it's the perfect word to describe what was going on with Peter. Hubris is defined as an excess of pride ultimately causing the transgressor's ruin. It's also defined as presumption toward the gods because you see, hubris was a term that was used all throughout Greek literature. It's very common in in Greek mythology. If you're familiar with the story of of Oedipus Rex or Oedipus the King, uh, it's a Greek tragedy that was written by uh, an author named Sophocles. And in this story, the, uh, the Oracle of Delphi says to Oedipus, sorry, I mispronounced his name earlier, says to Oedipus, you are going to kill your father and you're gonna marry your mother. And Oedipus says, no, there's no way that this is possible. This is not going to happen. But as it turns out, if you're familiar with the story, Oedipus does exactly what the oracle tells him he's gonna do. And that was hubris. Oedipus says, there is no way that I will do this. And he ends up doing exactly what the oracle told him he was gonna do. And it ends up causing his ruin. And that's hubris. And that's exactly what happened to Peter. Jesus, the Lord, God, says to Peter, 
you're going to deny me. And Peter effectively says, no, Lord. And if you stop for a second, think about that oxymoron there. No, Lord, you're Lord, and I'm saying no to you. Peter is saying, no, God, you're wrong. I'm right. There's no way that I'm going to deny you. Peter figures it could never happened to him. He thought he knew more than Jesus knew, and that was hubris, and it would have ruined Peter just like it ruined Oedipus. It would have ruined Peter if Jesus hadn't rescued him. And, and in a very small sense, I had hubris as I was skiing, right? Figured, easy slope, no problem. I can handle the black diamonds. Why can't I handle this blue slope, this relatively easy slope? let my guard down, ended up falling, ended up getting stitches, and I've got a scar for the rest of my life to prove it. And yes, that's a trivial sort of a thing, but the same thing can happen to us in, in much more significant areas of our lives. I remember when I was in seminary one morning, uh, one of our professors walked in and he was carrying a, a copy of the morning newspaper and he dropped it down on his desk and he said, this is our text for the morning. Normally, he'd open his Bible and he'd say, our text is, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 or John chapter 3 or Genesis chapter 6 or whatever it was going to be. But this morning, he says, no, the Dallas Morning News is going to be our text for this morning. And he holds it up, and on the front page above the fold is a picture of a local pastor who had run into a moral failure in his life, had to resign in disgrace, and he's now on the front page of the Dallas Morning News. And our professor had been involved in counseling in the situation. He was very, very familiar with the situation. Didn't reveal any details that were inappropriate for us to know. And he said an awful lot of things. But the one thing that has stuck with me all these years since that day, he looked at us and he said, the minute you think that couldn't happen to you, watch out. The minute you think that that couldn't happen to you, Watch out. Watch out for that hubris, that idea that I know more. I am so confident in my own abilities that I would never, and then you fill in the blank. None of us is immune to anything, even though we think that we might be. Most of us don't expect to be unfaithful to, to a loved one. Most of us don't expect that we could become addicted to alcohol or to painkillers or to pornography. Most of us think that we would maintain our integrity, that we're never going to commit fraud. Most of us think that we would never, and then you fill in the blank. Most of us, if we were with Peter that night and the other disciples, we would have said, no, Jesus, there's no way that I would deny you. And yet all of us, if we're honest with ourselves have done things that we realize sometimes they're big, sometimes they're small, but we recognize that, you know what? A day, a week, a month, a year ago, I never would have thought that I could have done that. And that's pride and that's hubris. And what, what Jesus is saying to us is we need to have the humility to recognize that in and of ourselves, we are not immune from temptation, from the possibility of falling. Because just because we don't think that it wouldn't happen to us doesn't mean that it won't happen to us. Book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, Solomon writes, he says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit goes before 
a fall. All of us are tempted. And sometimes the only difference between succumbing to temptation and resisting temptation is the difference between hubris and humility, between saying, I got this, I can handle this, and saying, you know what? Apart from you, God, I don't have this, or I don't got this, I can't handle this. I need you, I need your power, I need your strength, I need you to enable me to do what it is that I need to do, including resisting temptations that I never for a second would have thought it would be possible for me to, to, to succumb to. Now, sometimes we do fail. In fact, all of us do fail, sometimes in large ways, sometimes in small ways. But all of us fail because none of us are perfect. God never created us to live on our own. God never created us to be independent of him. And when we try to live lives independently of him, we do end up getting in trouble. And so all of us fail from time to time, just like Peter did. But just as Jesus forgave Peter, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, about three, four weeks ago, how when Jesus forgave Peter, it transformed his life. And just as Jesus forgave Peter, he's eager to forgive us. So no matter what I've done, no matter what you've done, no matter, no matter how many times we've fallen, no matter how many times we've succumbed to temptation, no matter how many times we have failed, Jesus stands ready to forgive us. Not because of who we are, not because we deserve it, not because our character is good enough, but because his character is good enough, because that's the kind of God whom he is, because he's a God of love and of grace and of forgiveness. So when we fall, we shouldn't hesitate for one second to come running to him and to say, Lord, I fell, I sinned. I did something you told me not to do, or I didn't do something that you told me to do. Would you please forgive me? And we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt not because we deserve it, but because he's a great and mighty and loving and gracious and forgiving God. We can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he absolutely, positively will forgive us. But he doesn't leave it there. When Jesus forgave Peter, he didn't just forgive him and say, okay, let's move on and continue on from there. Jesus turned to Peter and he said to him, John chapter 21, verse 19, follow me. Peter, follow me. I'm the Lord, you're my disciple. I'm the leader, you're the follower. You tried to do things your own way. I hope you've learned from that. Now, follow me. Because when you follow me, Jesus is saying, life goes a whole lot better because I know a whole lot more than you do about how to live your life. If we think that we can live our lives independently of God, that's hubris. And as Proverbs said, pride goeth before a fall. Time and time and time again, several times in the gospels, if you read through the life of Peter, Peter had contradicted Jesus. At one point, Jesus said, you know what? I'm gonna be ended up going to the cross. I'm gonna end up dying. And Peter says, no way, Lord, that's not gonna to happen to you. And then as we talked about earlier, 
Jesus says to Peter, you're going to deny me before the night's over. And Peter says, no way. That's not going to happen. I'll never do that. So Peter had contradicted Jesus several times before, but this time Peter got it. This time he didn't contradict Jesus. This time he said, okay, you got it. I don't. You know what you're doing. I don't. I'm going to follow you. And, and, and the question is, how do we know that Peter actually got it at this point? There's several reasons, one of which is, is so amazing as I've thought about this, it just kind of blows me away. We read about Peter's denial of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. This guy named Mark, actually his name was John Mark. He, he shows up later uh, in the book of Acts. He wasn't a follower of Jesus at the time. We don't even know if he actually had met Jesus. But Mark wrote this biography of Jesus that we know as the Gospel of Mark. And in it, he records Peter's denial of Jesus. Where did Mark get the information about Peter's denial of Jesus? Turns out, church history tells us he got that information and all the rest of his information from Peter himself. Peter, at that point, had the humility to recognize, you know what? I need to tell the story of my failure, of my pride, of my hubris, so that others who will come after me will be able to learn from my mistakes and not make that same mistake. So how do we know that Peter understood that he got it, that he finally understood what it meant to follow Jesus? He, he effectively wrote about it through this guy named Mark. And then all throughout the book of Acts, Peter had a number of different opportunities to deny Jesus again. He had the choice several times to suffer for his faith or to, to deny Jesus and to protect himself. And each time he chose to suffer for his faith, he, told, he chose to associate himself with Jesus, even if it meant going to prison. And ultimately... Peter himself was crucified for his faith in Jesus. So did Peter get it? Absolutely. And then near the end of Peter's life, he wrote two letters that are preserved in the New Testament for us, two pieces of scripture that we now read and we can learn from. And in the first of those two, two letters, Peter's writing a lot about suffering and pain and difficulty and persecution. And in that, he quotes Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, and he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here's a guy who had a problem with pride, and he applies to himself this thousand-year-old proverb, and he said, God opposes people who act like I acted, but he gives grace to those who act with humility. If we think that we can handle life on our own, God will let us try to do that. But the problem is that we're going to end up failing because we don't have in and of ourselves the resources to do all the things that we're called to do. Not because our intentions aren't good, but because God never intended us to live independently of him. So again, first time that Peter is faced with the opportunity to deny Jesus. He denies Jesus not because his intentions weren't good. Three, four hours earlier, he said, there's no way I would ever deny you. And I think Peter firmly believed that and firmly intended to stand for his faith. 
But he didn't. Why? Because he was too proud to admit that Jesus knew more than he knew. Later on in his life, he got it. And when faced with a similar situation several times, Peter absolutely affirmed his faith in Jesus. And the difference between those situations was that in the first one, Peter had hubris. In the second one, Peter had humility. And he continues in his letter. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties upon him, because he cares for you. Humble yourself. Peter's saying, we need to look to God and say, God, I don't have what it takes. I'm looking at this situation and I'm afraid. I'm scared. I need you. I'm looking at this situation and I'm overwhelmed. It's more than I can handle. Would you give me the grace to make it through this particular situation? I'm looking at this situation. I'm saying, I think I got this, but I realize that on my own, I don't have those resources. So would you please meet my needs and give me the strength to do what it is that you have called me and that you've asked me to do. The, we need Jesus. And the more that we recognize that, the better off that we're gonna be. So ask yourself this question, pulling it all together. Ask yourself this question. Do I need Jesus? Do I really believe that I need Jesus? Or maybe let, let's ask it slightly differently. We could ask it this way. Where do I need Jesus? When do I need Jesus? How do I need Jesus? in my life. When I failed, when I failed, it's pretty obvious that I need Jesus. I need him to forgive me because he never, he never intended me to shoulder the, the load of guilt and of shame that comes with failure. And so when I failed, when I've fallen, when I've sinned, I need Jesus and I need to come running to him and say, Jesus, I need you. Would you please forgive me? for what I've done. You forgave Peter. Thank you that, you that you'll forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross to forgive my sins, not because I deserve it, but because you love me and you're a God of grace. So when I failed, I need Jesus and I need to ask him to forgive me. When I'm weak, I need Jesus. When I'm weak, I need Jesus to strengthen me. When I recognize that I don't have what it takes I need to come running to him and say, Lord, I need you because I don't have what it takes. The apostle Paul, who was another leader in the early Christian church, uh, quotes Jesus as saying, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. When I'm weak, I need Jesus and I can be confident that he will absolutely positively give me the resources that I need to do what it is that he's asked me to do. So when, I'm fa when I failed, I need Jesus. When, I, when I'm weak, I need Jesus. But also when I think I'm strong, when I think that I can do it on my own, that's the most dangerous time. When I think that I've got this, when I think that there's absolutely no possibility that I could fail in this situation, that's actually the most dangerous time because God never intended for me to live independently of him. So when I think I'm strong, I need Jesus just as much as when I know that I'm weak, just as much as when I know that I failed. 
I may not recognize my need, but my need is still there. And as Peter says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So he says, humble yourselves. Humble ourselves. Look to God and say, Lord, I need you. I don't have the resources in and of myself. And you've probably heard this phrase before. In some sense, there but for the grace of God go I. There is no temptation to which any of us is immune. Any of us could fall in any of a number of different ways. And we need to look to Jesus and say, Lord, protect me from those temptations. And when they come my way, give me the resources that I need to resist. Give me the strength that I need to flee. Give me the humility to cry out to you and say, Lord, help me. Help me to maintain my testimony, to maintain my witness so that I can tell others of your great love and your great grace and your great provision and your great power and your great grace that you have shown me. So whether we're we're feeling weak or strong, whether we're feeling guilty or forgiven, all of us need Jesus. And all of us need Jesus all of the time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it is so easy for me to think that I don't need you. Actually, I don't usually think that I don't need you. It's just that I forget that I do. I get so caught up in whatever it is that I'm doing that I forget that I need to constantly be turning to you, living my life dependent on you, not wandering away from you, not drifting away from you. And so, Jesus, I pray for myself. I pray for folks here. I pray that we would recognize the need that we have for you, the need for forgiveness because we all do fail, the need for strength because we're all weak at various times, the need for humility because you never created us to live independently of you. We're not God. We're not you. And so I pray that as we leave from here, you would remind us again and again and again of the incredible provision that you've made for us and the incredible love that you have for us. And I pray that we would cry out every moment of every day, Lord, I need you. And I thank you that you're the one who provides for all of my needs. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks you guys for coming out this morning and I hope that you have a wonderful week.